Shut up and sit down. everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight we're talking about lamp lamp shading and the hand wave um before we get started someone asked me um and honestly i forget where the question was asked i'm not sure if it was i can't find it but i had a question and i can't figure out where it came from but they do listen to the podcast so i thought i'll just answer it there because i can't find it i might have deleted it i don't know it's gone anyway they asked where my art from the show's been coming from and I use PhotoJet, and PhotoJet's built-in um, uh, image gallery is provided by Pixelbay. So, there you go. The answer to your question. Okay. So, <clears throat> we mentioned lamp shading um, the other night. And basically, uh, I like totally lost my train of thought. So, we often talk about the uh, the hand wave of destiny, you know, and we're joking about it when we're just hand wave, you know, we just, oh, that's just fake science. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about how that time travel happened. It just did. <laughs> that's a hand wave. Yeah. It's, and sometimes it's an implicit hand wave. You don't just like go, oh, it's a hand wave, you know. And sometimes I stick it in my notes. It's magic. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put in a note for comic book science just to remind people. You know, <laughs> don't expect me to get out fucking resources from NASA to explain this to you. Um, but lampshading is a little different. Lampshading is a term that originated in um from it's named after old something that occurred in old black and white movies and you've probably seen if you ever watch slapstick you probably have seen a scene where there's a character who's not supposed to be in a room and they hide him by sticking a lampshade on his head and then whoever who's not supposed to see him magically doesn't see him because there's a lampshade on his head that's where the term comes from hanging a lampshade or informally called lamp shading. Yes, this is my lamp. <laughs> Don't, it's not a man under there who's not supposed to be there. It's a lamp. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> but lamp shading is also a really, it's bigger in the narrative. So, yes. So it is, um, uh, so somebody missed my announcement. <laughs> um, so it in lampshading is part of, and we're going to do a whole podcast on suspension of disbelief. Um, and lampshading is one of the tools. So we thought we would, you know, like cover the tools before we talk about the actual, you know, suspension of disbelief because it's more than just the component parts. But it's hard to talk about it if you don't understand the components. So. One of the components of suspension of disbelief, willing suspension of disbelief, and there's a difference between forced suspension of disbelief, which I don't know if you can even accomplish, 
and the willing suspension of disbelief. Because willing suspension of disbelief is when an audience comes in prepared to suspend their disbelief. You can't do anything to help the people who are coming in prepared to disbelieve. Those assholes are just there to pick your pick your stuff apart, and nothing you do is going to help with them. All right. So willing suspension of disbelief is the audience that's coming in. They're ready to to embrace what you've got. And your goal, your job is to hold on to their disbelief and let them let them suspend it. And lampshading is one of the tools you can use. And lampshading is basically saying, here's this improbable thing. And you acknowledge it before they can question it. And that's hanging a lampshade. And sometimes there's no solution. It's just like the characters look at each other and they go, oh, you know, does it seem like we never or we always or does it seem like we have the worst fucking luck with this, that we never managed to accomplish this? And you just acknowledge the improbability of what's just happened before the audience can lose their mind. And the audience is so trained to accept lampshading that they just go, okay, and move on. I would say that the 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 Harry Potter factor, which is often joked about in, in in fan fiction, is a lampshade. In Harry Potter, something fucked up is going to happen, and Harry Potter is in the middle of it. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> on Halloween. And, <laughs> on Halloween. And one of the lampshades is just, well, it's Halloween. You know, and that's pretty much all you have to say. Well, it's Halloween or well, it's Harry Potter. You know, there are other characters who are always in the middle of trouble and their very existence in a troubled scene. You just go, well, that's what happens to Tony, any Tony, apparently. Um, yeah. In Buffy, it must be Tuesday. Tuesdays was a lampshade in Buffy because all the fucked up shit happened on Tuesdays. Um, and Sometimes just reminding the reader of that, just a little subtle, well, it must be Tuesday. All kidnappings happen on Tuesday kind of thing. It immediately allows them to suspend their disbelief about the fact that you've just done something probably incredibly cliche. <laughs> <laughs> but I would not compare lampshading with gaslighting. Gaslighting is a... Um, It's an abusive tactic used to shape perception in the favor of the person who's doing the gaslighting. Yo, know, yeah, lampshading. Ha this is this happened. Um, gaslighting is oh that didn't happen. This is what happened, and you just got it wrong. Yeah. But bigger gaslighting is is. I'm never wrong. That's not what I said. And Bigger even if I said it, it was okay, and you deserved it. Masterclass <laughs> gaslighting is, yeah, it happened, but it wasn't me who did it. It was you. Right. So gaslighting is, is abusive mental manipulation. Where lampshading is, um, hey, <laughs> check out this. But overlook it. <laughs> it. It's actually what lampshading is. is it's, a, it's a technique. And you can't, if you overuse it, you're, you, you do the opposite of what you intend to do. But it is drawing attention to your, to basically what could amount to a fault 
it may not be a fault, but a lot of times it is something that is, you haven't got a better way to deal with, or because you're going down a cliched path or whatever. It's a way of saying, here, look at this thing that's wrong. And we, or not that I didn't find a better way to deal with or whatever, look at this fault and accept it and move on. And when it's a perfect done well, example of this happens right smack dab in the middle of Avengers Endgame. When they're discussing the time travel and Rhodey is throwing out all the reasons why this won't work. And because that's, that, that's not how time travel works. And da, 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 da. what about paradoxes? And then they throw at us a ridiculous reason why the, all other time travels are bullshit. And this is the only one that's accurate. Um, because they basically, maybe they realized halfway through filming or whatever, or they went into it knowing their time travel theory was bullshit. And so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I didn't find the, the lamp shading that they did in Endgame to be particularly effective because I just scratched no. my head about it. I was like, what? But what's worse is that it really puts an ugly slant. Their their whole time travel thing and Steve's final landing place in the timeline. Um, really, it ruined. It completely, it finished the ruination of Captain America as a character in the MCU. Because he becomes, I, mean, he, I mean, he goes from misinformed to arrogant to complicit yeah well and their own lampshading about time travel meant that he was not in a splinter universe or something <laughs> they they lampshaded him into being a villain which is really i don't think what they intended to do at all because if they had just not tried so hard to throw so many lampshades over their time travel methodology um I don't think that he would, I, th I think we could have all just gone, well, maybe he's in an alternate universe or something, except he did show back up in the main time stream. Right, right uh, there on the bench with a shield he couldn't possibly have owned any other way but to have asked somebody, somebody named Stark, to make it for it. Stab, 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 stab. Chittering. You don't sound particularly tinny to me. Oh, that that's me typing. No, I mean you talking. No, I mean somebody asked what the chittering sound was and then they heard it. That's my that's me typing. <laughs> that little it, it that Yeah, that yeah. that's me typing. Yeah. I'm the quietest of the three typers. <laughs> I'm just saying, though. But it's definitely there in the it background. It did kind of remind me of those little sounds that aliens made and signs on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> the loudest typist in the world. <laughs> Yes, she is the champ. Um, but so lampshading can be a powerful device when you're doing something that is particularly improbable or really there's, you know, 
you could do it the cliched approach and it would take you 500 words and that's the way you want to go. Or you could try to do something else and it would take you 6,000 words and you just don't want to deal with it. It can be a way to look at your thing and go, okay. So often, Lamb, when, when you look at TV tropes, I, I looked at the TV tropes. I was actually reading and looking at Lamb sitting on a different site because sometimes the tone of the stuff on TV tropes kind of makes me go, you guys are kind of assholes under the scene, aren't you? Um, but kind of, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I think whoever's behind the TV tropes, like, because sometimes they say some, you get to any of the fan fiction tropes and stuff, and there's some really judgy attitudes in there. So anyway, um, so I, t I try not to, uh, TV tropes to me is a good resource for looking at lists of tropes, but if I'm going to read more about a trope, I'm, I'm, I'm typically inclined to find another source because I find them to be kind of dickish. Uh, but anyway, when they talked about, Lampshade, they talk about it's typically used in a, in, in a humor context. And I would agree that that's the typical application or the more obvious application. Because like we talk about it, that's where the, the term came from, like with the putting a lampshade on a human and then people thinking it was an actual lamp. Uh, but And then there's one reference that talks about lampshading in terms of... Um, Oh, Monty Python, where uh, they didn't have they couldn't didn't have a horse on set, so the guy's banging together some coconuts to pretend like he's riding a horse, and they actually talk about it. He says, "You're not on a horse; you're using coconuts." And he's like, "Yeah, well, you're, you've just had two empty halves of a coconut you're banging together," and they acknowledged that it wasn't a horse, and it was that was lampshading. So basically, it's the writer saying, "Hey, I get this." I, I know what I'm doing bef before the reader can call them out. Right. And the idea is to do it before your reader's suspension of disbelief is challenged too much because your reader has to notice the elephant in the room before you put the lampshade on it and say, this is an elephant. And that's, that's kind of the goal is to go, um, Here's a thing. We know it's a thing. Pretend it's not a thing. <laughs> and the reader is usually good with that because if you do it well and you do it appropriately and you don't abuse it, people who have, if, if it was at any amount of reading with, they've, they've explored, they've seen this technique. They've seen it in TV shows. They, although I think they call it, a they usually refer to a slightly different term for it in um, TV shows and movies now, even though the term originated from movies, but whatever. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's fourth wall breaking if you do it right. I mean, I you don't want to turn directly to the reader and talk to them. If you do that, you are breaking the fourth wall. I think that in order to do effective, timely lampshading, it has to be done in such a way that um, the reader doesn't feel addressed because that will break the suspension of disbelief faster than not lampshading soon enough. Okay. I, I don't, um, um, like I said, I don't, it, lampshading is not always done in a humorous context. So this is a, probably not the best example to give because it is not, available for anybody to read right now. But in Slytherin Black, I did a little bit of lampshading around the t nobility thing. Um, I was, I wanted, I had plotted to have some storytelling time about the different, like that 
Sirius would start teaching Harry about nobility and titles and how they interacted with him and what his role was in the world through telling him stories about the different um, the different noble families in in Britain. And I know that um, if somebody is the, the Earl of Gryffindor, they would be Lord Gryffindor, not Lord Potter. I know that. So, but it, it drives readers crazy. And I know it drives readers crazy um, because I see comments about it that um, probably, especially if they're British, that uh, the Earl of Gryffindor is called Lord Potter a lot of times because I've seen these kind of comments. So I decided I wanted to lampshade that why I was going with Lord Potter as opposed to Lord Gryffindor or whatever. And so I made up this little story that Sirius told Harry about why the convention and of naming convention diverged between um, the muggle world and the magical world and why it was one thing in the muggle world was one thing. And it was a very short little thing that I did, but that was lampshading. So it's like before my, my British audience could get their knickers in a knot, I went ahead and addressed why it was different as opposed to just, now I could have done it different. I could have hand waved it in my author notes and said, yes, I know I'm doing it this way in the magical world because it's fiction and this is what I want to do. But I decided not to handle it that way. I decided to handle it with some lampshading. But that was not- I never address it. I can't because I don't care. Well, there you go. See, she doesn't (laughs) care, but I cared. So I decided to deal with it. But that just, it's an example of lampshading. I mean, for me, it th- that's a hand wave because, um, and I'll the reason the first reason I did it, um, with Harry is I am vehemently opposed to him not being called Potter. Um, he's a Potter, and it just I I can't. It, and I was like, why would the magical world follow the Muggle world in that tradition? Why? Well, I think it. sometimes I've seen it in stories, um, I also don't remember what you did in this regard, where the titles exist in both the magical and muggle world. Um, and so if you're going to straddle that line, you either have to hand wave it or lampshade something. I mean, that's, that's, that's my perspective on it. Um, is if, if, if their title exists in the muggle world to say that, that their title address is different, that's just in the muggle world, then he would be Lord Gryffindor or whatever. So I prefer him being addressed as Lord Potter too, because that's, but I decided to handle it with lampshading instead of unspoken hand-waving. Um, I, I typically don't do a lot of unspoken hand-waving because I feel like it's not obvious that I'm doing that. What I would say about the statute of secrecy is I'm not talking about the statute of secrecy. I'm talking about the fact that magicals, um, that muggles have a history of burning magicals at the stake. I mean, if you take that to the to the logical conclusion, during the Inquisition and during the witch burnings, um, in the Harry Potter world, they were probably actually attacking magical people. So why would I would if I was a magical person, I would throw away everything I could that had anything to do with a muggle back then. When they withdrew as much as they possibly could from the Muggle world, historically, that's probably why, because they were being hunted by the church. I would really like. No. No, I wouldn't. 
I would really like to see a really uh, a really in-depth series of books on how the magical world was hidden. But I almost said I really wish J.K. Rowling would write. But I don't mean that because she wouldn't address the issues that I want addressed. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So, I mean, some people will choose to deal with this. People, cho some people choose to deal with a spoken hand wave, like they'll say in the author note, I'm hand waving this. Some people will just expect you to figure out their hand wave. Um, some people will lampshade it the way I chose to do. Some people, I mean, how you approach those kinds of things. But for somebody, I, I do know that for some um, readers that it is a major sticking point. So, I chose to deal with it the way I did. Every author is going to handle these kinds of things differently. Um, but suspension of disbelief is um, is something that you you your goal is to to strive towards. Now, to some degree, um, I I on the other hand, when it comes to suspension of disbelief, can get frustrated with readers who expect a higher standard in fan fiction than they deal with in canon. So I've been challenged on some stuff in like NCIS stories that I didn't decided not to lampshade or hand wave and because it was um, not possible forensically to do what I had said. And I'm like, yeah, but it's less possible than what they actually do on the show. Um, which is so, so, so expecting me to be more realistic than the show is a little bit ridiculous. So, uh, when did J.K. Rowling focus on Dumbledore's sex life? Because it didn't happen in the books. The only reference we get to anybody having weird or freaky sex in the books is his brother and the goats. I mean, we didn't even find out Dumbledore was gay until he was after he was dead. So, oh, oh, you're saying she's doing it outside the movies and books, or? Well, I don't. That doesn't count for me. I don't care about that shit. I have no interest whatsoever in that. I don't give a shit about that. If it didn't, honestly, if it didn't happen in the books, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't think I don't consider the cursed child canon. I don't consider the movies canon. Although sometimes I play with those those concepts. Um, I'm not really on board with Fantastic Beasts <laughs> because there are no books. It's just movies. So no, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just saying. So there's kind of a discussion going on in the chat room. That's what I want to address about author notes. Um, one of the reasons why it's a little bit difficult to handle some stuff in author notes is because authors abuse author notes. They use them for everything under the sun except conveying important information about the story. Um, You're popping a little. Are you on Wi-Fi? I am. Let me see where my mic sensitivity is. But I might it might have just blipped a little bit there. But um, I really don't care for her after the fact clarifications. If it was important, it would be in the book. Yeah, I agree. Um, and like, I ignore some of the stuff that winds up on Pottermore too. Like, flea like I don't give up. Just really, I mean, come on. Yeah, but so with author note abuse, it can be if you are 
when you get, you know, a thousand words of an author note, which is, it's just, no, no, nothing. There's nothing. The thing is, is often that the problem is, is often in amidst, you know, the tale of what somebody's cat did and, um, the update on their granddad and that their new knitting classes and that they have a, a paper they're submitting to their school um, is a vital author note about what's going on in the story, but it's lost in stuff that is slice of life stuff about the author. So it is, it is difficult. I do put stuff that's important in my author notes and I try to only put stuff that's important in my author notes. So But so if you want people, I guess I would just say it's, I think, I I hope most of my readers know that if I have an author note, they should read it. I don't um, put dumb shit in mine. If I did, it'd probably talk about my dog, Jack, who likes to eat fireflies and my dog, Kronos, who likes, who thinks his fireflies are pets and he likes to follow them around the yard and um, get them on his nose. Which puts them in direct opposition about stuff. And Jack's an asshole. So whenever Kronos loses track of whatever his favorite firefly is of the time, Jack will eat it. That specific one. He will follow Kronos around. And when Kronos stops paying attention to that firefly, he will snatch it right out of the air and eat it. Because he's a monster. <laughs> or you could argue, this is all point of view, you could argue that Jack has been taunting him with that, or Kronos has been taunting him with that firefly. <laughs> Jack, he'll, he'll walk around the yard with his teeth glowing in the dark. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if you have... But I don't put that in my author notes. No. If you're a serial author note abuser, you really can't put important stuff in your author notes. That's just a fact. Because people are not reading it. So, quit abusing your author notes. That, that's my advice to any author out there you you for starters you don't owe anybody an explanation you don't need to explain if you want to put out an update newsletter about when you're going to do stuff that's completely separate but you don't owe anybody an explanation about why your chapter was not posted sooner or when the next chapter is going to come out or that you're going to be on vacation or whatever you don't know when you do that you create expectations that readers expect the rest of us to do, to follow and i'm not going to do that I so, mean, there is such a thing as malicious compliance. Like, oh, well, this chapter was late. I, I was going to put this up yesterday, but I decided to masturbate instead. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Sex was more important than you guys getting some fic. Which, of course, that's true. <laughs> that's absolutely 100% true. <laughs> if I want some O, you guys are shit out of luck. That's You're not getting anything. Um. Oh no, so, Edie. Unfortunately, Kronos gets really upset and cries. He whines. He gets really hurt when when Jack eats his fireflies. It is just it's it's not good. It is like Lord of the Flies in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. So with when it comes to author notes, because I do post the only times you get a work in progress, often there are uh, I will often have longer um author notes for something on um, EAD than I ever would because like if I don't know a pairing I'm going to put a longer author note to explain why the pairing isn't disclosed 
but because I don't, I don't like it when people do feel like they've gotten a bait and switch. Like I've led them to believe it's going to be this when it winds up being something else. But if I, because I post finished works, whatever's in my author notes is probably something you need to know. So and sometimes it's just timeline stuff. Like this is how I'm syncing up the timelines or this takes place here or whatever. And maybe, and but it's always short. It's always short in my finished works. I, that sometimes there's additional notes like about the universe or whatever. But I have had people say, well, what about this, this, and this? I go, that's in my author notes. And they come back and go, well, I don't read author notes. And I go, well, you better start reading mine. But the reason why they don't is because of the 10,000 word author note. 10,000 words in an exaggeration. But I, I did a classic example. I've talked about it before. Is I downloaded a 100,000 word story and scripted out the author notes. And it was 30,000 words of author notes. Because I was so frustrated with these author notes that had nothing to do with the story. Nothing. That is ridiculous. I would have was, told her about herself. I'd have been like, what? Dude, no. I, this is what I did. And you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. Now, there was at one point, I will say, the one thing that was really frustrating is I did put all the author notes in a separate file. And there was this one plot line towards the end that seemed to go nowhere. It just disappeared. Well, she addressed her closure on that author note, on that plot line in an author note. It was the one author note in the entire thing that was critical to understanding the, the story because she says you know in regard to such and such as court case blah 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 blah, it was handled like this and this was the outcome but it's not important to the main storyline well i was def wondering so i went back and i looked at the author notes and there it was it was buried between something I, I remember a veterinarian update being in there but it was it was buried in between a veterinarian update and something else and it was just infuriating it was absolutely infuriating that somebody would abuse author notes to that degree, all of them completely worthless, except for this one hundred word author note about the disposition of this one story subplot. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> Jesus, Ellie, did you see that? I saw it. I need to read that just for the entertainment factor. It's like, I took this character from NCIS, but I completely changed him so that he really has all the personality of a sidekick from Firefly, then changed his sex, updated his family, then changed his sex back. And I was thinking I should join band this year, but I don't have time for marching band. So I was rethinking it and it will be three weeks before I post another chapter. <laughs> and I'm not even sure. You know, see, what that's, actually all, that's actually more entertaining than most of the author notes that you see. Yes. On fanfiction.net. Because that's that's where that abuse started. <clears throat> yes. The, the author abuse thing definitely is abuse thing. The only time I've ever done anything remotely like author note abuse that I could think of was on React. And it was at the end where I did an ode to Teen Wolf tagging. And you didn't have to read that. It definitely said it's an ode to Teen Wolf tagging. And, you know, there was only one important tag. And, like, I don't know, I think I put 30 or 40. Thigh holsters was the only important tag. <laughs> and, I, and I put it in the middle on purpose. <laughs> and I agree. I agree, Dark. People do get used to the author note abuse. Um, and so they stop reading author notes. Because they're, like, assuming nothing important is going to be there. 
because 90% of the time, nothing important is there. The only thing worse than the rambling author notes about their personal lives are the people who spend um, five, 6,000 words answering reviews in their author notes. Yes. Or the author note that explains what they just wrote. It's an end note and it explains what they did. So I did this with this character and this with this character. And I think it came across really well. And if you didn't get that, let me know. And I'll try to explain what's going on. I'm like, no, I, I got it just fine. <laughs> Jesus. But you have when I to... do something sneaky, I'm of the opinion that if you don't get it, you don't deserve to. This is not sneaky. I'm just saying. This this is on the, some of the stuff I've seen is like on the par of like you know Tony left NCIS on sign above it. Well, Tony left NCIS because of dead air, and then they'll say in the end note. So in this chapter, Tony's decided to leave NCIS, and I'm like, you're kidding. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what just happened. Did we not figure that out from the actual actions happening on screen? No, I got it. Um, but. Well, no, if you change the character's sex twice, that just means that they're back to the original sex. It doesn't actually have anything to do with their sexual, um, orientation. sexual orientation. Unless they remember going through these sex changes that you put them through somehow. And um, they picked up some new kinks along the way. Yeah. In which case, you need a bigger author note. <laughs> <laughs> So shit needs to be addressed. <laughs> also, please be sure to put in a crack tag. <laughs> um, and so, let us know which gender pronouns they would prefer to be using. <laughs> so if you are... If you're hand-waving something important, putting it in your author note is actually a really good idea. You know, like... Uh, and, and sometimes it's just a little thing like comic book science. I've started now just because I get tired of people pointing out that something isn't possible. I'm going comic book science <laughs> or, you know, uh, canon level forensics, just so people pay attention and get in their mindset whether their suspension of disbelief is supposed to be. And it's supposed to be around what canon gave us, not what the real world has. So, you know, like anybody challenging the science in a world like the MCU where you have miniaturized fusion reactors um, and Ant-Man, really, you're right. going to challenge the science in a world where Ant-Man exists? Okay, whatever. You do you. <laughs> This is true. This is true. Like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I have issues. So there are a couple of notes that I missed. The chat moved fast. I okay. read a fic where John was holding an ancient device and he was thinking to himself that his life would be easier on the romantic front if he was a woman because Rodney was straight. Um, and the device turned him into a woman. But once he was there, he didn't want to go back. And but people at SGC are you, what? No, um, we're, we're going to fix this. And Sam's like, if he doesn't want to go back, she isn't going to go back. 
<laughs> we're not fixing anything. He's she's fine just the way she is. <laughs> Leave her um, alone. Is the Fick Ninja in the chat? She's read all of these. Let's see if she's online. She is. That that actually is probably linked on my podcast page on my website because someone um we talked about it before and someone came to my podcast page and linked it. Because every once in a while someone will do that. It might have been at the bottom. Let's see. <laughs> okay, in the fandom and junk male preg rule 63 and changing perspectives podcast, you mentioned a fit where John was changed into a woman and did not want to be changed back. I think this is called Shouted Out Loud by Melon Butterfly. I'm not sure if it's the same one where he is playing with the device. It isn't the same one. They're they're different ones. But this is the one where John gets turned into a woman. And when they try to find a solution, he's like, well, no, I don't need a solution. It's all good down there. I'm great. <laughs> the only problem is you. <laughs> But there is another one where John just thinks it would be better if he were a woman because then he could have Rodney. And that isn't the same one. Because this is one where he, John does it to himself by accident. With the, with the device he's holding in his hand, he has no idea what it is. And he wakes up and he's like, the transformation takes time. Which is really interesting. It, it, it didn't happen all at once. Like he wakes up and things are starting to change. And then one day he has breasts. But he still has chest hair. So he has to deal with that. Um, and that's pretty. He doesn't know what to do with it. You know. It was really, it was really interesting read as well. So. Um, Dark Serafina linked to. Um, I can't pronounce that. No, I I don't even. What the hell? It's a really long title. <laughs> a R D H A N A R I S H V A R A by Auburn and Mona Not Lisa. One word. And uh, it does have. I don't think this is the one I'm talking about either. I don't think it's the one you're it talking about. It could be a gender swap. It is. It's a sex change planet. The summary is, tell me, Colonel, did you take a look around and think, hey, it's the planet of sex changes? Oh, well, you know, Margaret, the older you get, the more likely that is to happen. The other day, I plucked a hair that was an inch long out from when I was between my tits. I was like, what the hell is this? It came out of nowhere. <laughs> Not literally nowhere. You just suddenly noticed it. Right? <laughs> but the yeah, worst I ones are the ones you get on your chin. Like one day there's nothing there and the next day it's an inch long and you're thinking, did it spring up overnight? It's like, how in the world did I not notice it before now? Besides, you kind of already do have hair on your tits. It's just usually in women, it's blonde and very thin and very light. But we all, but we're, we're apes. So, so we have hair everywhere. Actually, hair around the nipples, even visible hair is not uncommon. 
Um, if I had them, I'd pluck them. I would too. It'd be I'd be all I'm up checking. in the. I'm checking. Be, no, I don't have any. <laughs> I just, I just look too. I just know I just know it's normal, but I'm just like, do I? I had a friend. She had very like quite every woman in the podcast just pulled the tit out to check. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pop that boob out and see if it's got hair on it. Do I need to go? Do I need to go and get you know an epilady or something? No, this is, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. It could happen. You get hairier when you get older. Um, <laughs> but conversely, I'm getting. I have less hair on my legs. I never had much hair on my legs, so I don't know. Yeah, I think that actually I do think there is less than there used to be because I used to have to shave this one spot and it's sort of not really that worth bothering with anymore. Um, but um, yeah, so I had a friend who, when I when I was when I was younger, go to the gym together. She had she had quite prominent hair around her nipples and she was and there's a, there's there's a function for that. There's a reason for it because in women that transmits that 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 carries the scent of breast milk for the baby. So it was an evolutionary thing that the hair around the nipple with women, why it only was there. Because babies can apparently smell that. But anyway, yeah, so, but you don't need it. So if you got it, feel free to yank it. <laughs> now, other hair. <laughs> that actually sounds painful. I mean, I'll pluck a hair out of my chin practically every other day, but the thought of putting the plucking one out of my nipple just seems like it would be really painful um, I don't and not know. the I fun don't... kind of painful either. I don't know. I have no experience with hair plucking. I could be wrong. Area. It could um, be the fun kind of painful. I don't know. Unlike other hair, which is vital for, you know, health, you really don't need your nipple hair if you've got it. Right. Yeah. Feel free to get rid of it. Well, you shouldn't remove all down there, but if you're a little overrun, feel free to. I'm going to tell you guys a story. <laughs> my mom calls my sister's house and my youngest niece picks up the phone and she says, hey, where's your mama? And she says, she's off getting her coochie waxed. <laughs> okay. My mama calls my sister. She says, you need to talk to the girls about the information they give out over the phone. And I hope I'm the only person who called your house and asked where you were today. <laughs> no, she gets the whole, she gets the full deal. Pubic mound to asshole. Just get it all off, I guess. Wow. There was a Brazilian waxing place near where I used to live called the Pretty Kitty. Um, That's a great name. I know. I didn't know what the place was. I thought it was like cat grooming or something. I'd driven past this place for years. And one day I just turned right. Well. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> literally. And so <laughs> I I turned. Well, they've got this little pink cat. Like this little pink hairless cat. Is there? Is there? Is there a? It's a cartoon cat, but it's a little hair, little hairless pink cat. And I turn on the street differently so that I'm sitting right in front of their front door, and I look over and it says Brazilian waxing, and I I laugh my ass off. I almost couldn't drive. <laughs> I 
I drive past this place. It turned out they were waxing a different kind of pussy. Yeah. I've driven past this place for years thinking it's pet grooming and it's Brazilian waxing. I was like, okay, well, there you go. That is, that is a great name. That is. Okay. So lampshading um, and hand wave. Um, I hand wave a lot um, because uh, we work. Or, you know, especially most often in fandom because we um, we write in um, in in stories in in fandoms that do a lot of hand waving. You know that you your reader has to accept magic exists. Yeah, in Harry Potter, um, they have to accept some really extremely unlikely um, science. <laughs> In Stargate and in Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, you know, and so you, you, your reader comes into this already having all these um, expectations about how things are going to work, and it's easier just to go along with it. But sometimes the level to which a fandom hand waves can make you a little bit complacent about hand waving and you can hand wave too much. So you've got to just pay attention to that and make sure you're not shattering the suspension of disbelief when you hand wave away something. Like, for instance, we tend to hand wave around timeline adjustments. Like, ah, it's no big deal to adjust the timeline. But when you put two shows together that live in the same universe and you've hand waved the timeline, at least for me, you've created a major suspension of disbelief problem because you haven't hand waved one show's timeline. You've hand waved eight or nine shows timeline. Right. When you hit NCIS's timeline, you also impact, and this is ridiculous. So hold on. NCIS NCIS LA, NCIS New Orleans, NCI, no, that's, a lot, that's, that's all three of those, right? So Jag, Giver, Scorpion. There, there's one more. There's two more. Hawaii 5 0. Hawaii 5 0 and Magnum, and the new Magnum. Mm -hmm. And let's not even get into how Magnum retconned. Yeah. Joke references, too. So when you decide. That something occurs in season three of NCIS and season one of Hawaii Five-0. That is a very non-trivial hand wave because season one of, N of Hawaii Five-0 occurred during season eight of NCIS. So what are you doing? You're, you're fucking everything up. You've now fucked the timeline. You haven't fucked the timeline of MacGyver or... Um, Magnum PI yet because they don't exist yet. But you have fucked the timeline of every other show because these shows all had crossover episodes. And you just hand waved all that out of existence. And that is something I actually don't think you can hand wave. It is not the same thing as hand waving away two shows that are in different universes. If you're going to say Stargate SG Stargate SG1, the first season occurred during the fourth season of NCIS and you decide to make that hand wave, that's fine. Just make sure the reader understands which year you're in. You know, that you're setting your story in 2008 or 2007, and it is season one for, it, it's canon timeline for NCIS, and it is season one for Stargate. These two shows are completely disconnected. So you can slide one of them around. But you can't say, 
that season you can't hand wa- hand wave away that the events of season two of SG one and season one of SGA happen at the same time. It's not that would be ridiculous. Possible. It's not actually possible. But people do that. They just make a little author note and say, Oh, I this is what I'm doing with the timeline. I'm like, you can't do that. They don't even they haven't even found the ancient outpost at that point. Yeah, you have no canon to work with when you pull those kinds of stunts. Now, it's more ob- it's really glaringly obvious in Stargate. Stargate is a perfect example of why you can't jack the timeline of shows that are connected. Pe- but people think they can do it in NCIS because the characters don't interact much. And I don't think canon NCIS characters, the core NCIS characters, are ever on Hawaii Five O, But they are on NCIS LA, and NCIS LA has been on Hawaii Five O several times. So... There's, there's a timeline that you have to work with with shows that are connected. So that is not something I think you can hand wave away. I noped out of a story over a timeline issue like that. I'm like, no. And, people, and the funny thing is, the story has been wrecked to me at least a dozen times. And I noped out of it over timeline shenanigans of shows that are in the same universe. Because they, they hand waved away. And actually, they didn't even hand wave it. They didn't even acknowledge that they did it. So I wasn't. It creates huge mo- problems, and yeah. um, it creates problems with maintaining the suspension of disbelief. Um, and there's no lampshading, that kind of thing. No, you can't. There's a difference. That's why there's a difference between a hand wave and a lampshade. Um, a lampshade is basically you're doing something in the narrative. You're doing something to acknowledge what's going on. You don't lampshade in an author note. You lampshade in the narrative. It's something your characters are doing to deal with the audience's suspension of disbelief. Okay? Hand-waving is something that might be mentioned somehow in the narrative, but the characters can't be overtly aware of it. It's more often either done in an author note or it's implicit, that people just get that it's being done. Now, I've started to be more explicit about some of my hand waves, like comic book science, because I get tired of people sending me emails saying, this isn't possible. That's not the way nuclear fission works. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you think I don't in care a, how nuclear you, fission actually works. Actually, I do know how nuclear fission works. So it's kind of scary that they... But the thing is, in a world where you have a baseball-sized fusion reactor... You think that you're you're going to challenge me about nuclear fission, really? About the size of a fission reactor? Shut up. <laughs> I literally had somebody tell that to me. You can't make a fission reactor that small. I'm like, you can't make a fusion reactor that small either, asshole. <laughs> Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> well, but... Iron Man and the MCU and NCIS are not in the same universe. So um, somebody has started a story that occurred in 2008 at NCIS and it, 2008 M- I- Iron Man timeline worked perfectly. But they the retcon of the Iron Man timeline but you can change the author note or put an author note or something like that in. The retcon of the timeline invalidated your timeline, but that's not your fault. I mean, I totally would go in and put an author note in and say this was written before they retconned the timeline. So that's how I would handle it, just so that, and that's more of an acknowledgement in the author note to people that, yes, I know the timeline is wrong, 
but you know, I did my thing before they decided that that they were gonna change Iron Man. Or you could just say you could just say, "This is my time timeline. Deal with it and suck my dick." There's that too. (laughs) Because actually, the way I would handle um, NCIS, if I needed to, it's 2008 or 2010 or 2012. NCIS to sync up with the MCU. I would move NCIS. That's the one I would move because, especially if your if you, if your story takes place in the MCU, then I would keep that timeline static. So it all depends upon. Sometimes we put in notes about our hand waves to keep people from saying stuff about it. You know, I mean that's some. I think some hand waves are really obvious. Like I don't tend to question. Um most procedural inaccuracies in um, procedural crime drama fanfic because usually it's not worse than what was going on in the show, usually. When it's much, 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 much worse, sometimes it will throw me out. And that's that's just the, that's just, that's the, that's the gamble you're taking when you write in a procedural crime drama um sometimes shows based on medical medical drama kind of thing if people get the if if they get the medicine so much worse than the um than the show did i i'm i'm out (laughs) the shows are inaccurate enough but you know there's only so much medical inaccuracy i can handle but honestly, some things are not worth exploring in detail if you don't understand them. Like it just if creates problems. If you don't understand how DNA is is DNA is processed, don't write details about DNA processing. Why would you do that to yourself? That is that is a good example of an implicit hand wave. Is they turn the evidence over to Abby and they get their results six hours later, which is already inaccurate. That's pretty much how the show worked. Okay, explaining how the D, you know, how she's running the DNA evidence. Why would you do that? They never do it in the show. Um, some police procedurals have wonky timelines because of the summer, and some don't. There are quite a few who explain what happened over the summer months, uh, as opposed to just, you know, letting you. NCIS is actually one of the ones that's pretty good about explaining what was going on during the summer so um you can't just assume that the show date the air date is there's a few there's a few instances where you do have to infer things happened it's obvious things happened at a little bit different time like the opening of season three kill airy episodes those clearly actually happened back in may or june not in september but the next episode, season episode four, I mean, episode three of of that season is clearly in September because there's a big time jump that is obvious because they've moved on and now Ziva's joining the team. So, yeah, well, can't do anything about that. Um, I beg but, to differ. <laughs> yeah, but like between season six and season seven, they the first episode of season seven they showed. Um, flashbacks to what happened every month over the summer. So some some shows don't give you a lot of wiggle room in the timeline, and some shows like Stargate do, where it's like I can't figure out when anything happened. 
no. just assume, you know, the dates are just the dates rough. are a mystery, but I just try to keep it in episode order. Yeah, keep them in order and then do what you need to do. <laughs> um, I think so there we, aren't as many people to, to kill in NCIS as there would be in Harry Potter no not really it'd be a lot shorter really only need one honestly so um, so does anybody have if anybody has any questions about lampshading or hand waving or needs examples go ahead and pop questions into chat because i don't know if how well did you pop off or did you just trail off i trailed off this is okay. i'm trailing away trailing you're welcome because i almost started singing happy trails but i, but I stopped so you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> um I need cake too, or a brownie. I'll be I'll be happy with a brownie. I have some Any sugar free brownie mix in their cabinet, but it just seems so terrible. But it is chocolate. I'm just gonna go have some chocolate. Um, so I I was reading the thing about the hand wave, and one of the examples they give about hand waving is um that in the narrative in science fiction shows, they one of the ways they hand wave um is handled with techno babble. And you see that in Star Trek. You see that in Stargate, where they just you start pop, babbling. So, uh, oh, babble! Techno I only babble. heard half of the babble word. Yeah, science Tec babble. Is that what you said? Techno babble. Techno babble. Okay. So, and you see that in all the science fiction shows, where when they need to explain something complicated, somebody, whoever's the most scientific mind in the room, just starts blah 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 blah. This, I think, this is a technique that works better on screen than it works in print. Um, in print, it can actually bite you in the ass, I think, and you're better off with having your POV character go, and Carter drifted into 15 minutes of scientific babble that Jack never never planned to try to even understand. <laughs> and let that be Not your hand wave. It. Yeah, so that's your hand wave um, is your POV character is not the person babbling. Or your babbler says, you know, you're Rodney's POV, and he goes, you know, he, he spent a half an hour trying to explain what they were going to do, but nobody was getting it, as opposed to actually explaining it. Because those long explanations that probably actually are not very well rooted in science can just really affect your pace and they're hard to read. Moreover, your reader has time to go look that shit up. Yeah. So just let it go. They won't look up the shit that Rodney's babbling on the TV, but if you have Rodney battling, babbling in your fic, they can highlight that shit and go, hey, Google. <laughs> Google? <laughs> Nuclear fission. Yes. <laughs> now, a lot of times they won't, <laughs> which is the scary part. But then you have that one asshole who will who comment and say, you know, actually. <laughs> no. I mean, I had somebody once at, write me a comment to ask me what a word I put in a story. Actually, they didn't ask me what it meant. They told me they didn't think it was a real word. They what actually was the word? The, um, Hello? I'm thinking. Oh. Um, 
Did I break you? <laughs> no, I don't remember what the word was. It wasn't that. Un- it wasn't so. It was a. It was a. It was a form of. I remember it was a form of the word that is not commonly used, but it was not an, an unknown word. I just don't remember what the word was. Um, and the thing is, I right clicked on it in the text and put look up, and it went right to the dictionary definition of it. So, somebody taking the time to write me and say I don't think that's a word was a little bit like you uh, asshole. Okay. If that was you and you're, and you're listening to this podcast, you're an asshole. That that was dumb. Now, okay. some, sometimes with a character, especially like Styles, I I'll throw some neologisms in there. I don't have any problem doing that because he does make up words. That's what I mean. It's almost like rite of passage. I swear for teenagers is to try to come up with new words, but um, yeah, Buffy did stuff to English. This is true. But even the stuff that is, um, even the stuff that are really recent neologisms or are uh, fandom specific, a lot of times they're in, if you Google them, they're still there, even if you don't look up in the dictionary. So um, I'm pretty sure. You have different, you have different assholes from me. I'm not sure if I have the better deal or not. I've got nitpickers. It's terrible. Because I've never had a reader tell me that assholery wasn't a word. It obviously isn't a word, but it appears in my fic more often than not. Um, And um, badassery. You know, assholery. Wankerhood. Yeah. (laughs) Some felony level wankerhood right there. No one called me out on it. But even if you, um, even, like I said, even if these words don't exist in the actual dictionary, a lot of times Googling them will give you what they are. Like even assholeries in the Urban Dictionary. So is wankerhood. <laughs> so, it, and actually, the stuff that is obviously fandom specific or made up, I tend to people not tend to tend to bug me about that. But it's the it's maybe the more uncommon form of a word or something that a character uses or something is is what people kind of get a little their knickers in a knot over. Although I had somebody get their knickers in a knot over I had I hadn't used the possessive form on Gibbs once 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 suck my dick like really come on with all the possible typos there could be in the story you're upset about an apostrophe. A missing one, not even a misplaced one, a missing one. I didn't do G I B B apostrophe S. I did, you know, it was just Gibbs instead of G I B B S apostrophe. Kiss my ass. That you took the time to send me an email over a missing apostrophe. That is someone who doesn't have a life, and we should pity them. But we don't. Because I pity no one. That's not true. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't pity, I don't pity pet moms. I don't pity pet ants, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but so when it comes to. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, 
Yondu is a Centauran. And Nebula is a Lupinoid. 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 I'm going to paste it into the... That's not what I meant to do. <laughs> so they are just blue. That's Nebula. There are lots of blue aliens in the MCU. Aren't the scrolls blue too? A lot of the Kree are blue. <laughs> Aren't some of the Kree blue? Because Ronan was was blue. The scrolls are apparently like a light green. Yeah. So, so at least some of the Kree are blue. Um, although maybe they're wearing image inducers or something or whatever you'd call them in the MCU. Ronan is blue. Yeah, that's what I said. He's a Kree, right? Yes, Ronan is blue. He's Kree. Oh, the tentacles. It amused me. I don't know if it's actually accurate, but it amused me to say it. Anytime I can put sexual um, genital tentacles in a story, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like I need, I'm going to do a name thing here for us. <laughs> because I'm like, I think that if you're on the Enterprise, like, and you and you have to put up with Kirk and Spock, that one of their privileges is, is when you have a one night stand with a alien with genital tentacles, that you get to blame one of them for it. I mean, I think that just should be one of the perks. <laughs> so I did a, I did a, I did a Ronan cheat cheat sheet for the name challenged. It drives me nuts when somebody misspells Ronan on Stargate. It really oh. drives me nuts. Not as much as Taylor. The T it, when I see T A Y L A, I close it. Because if you can't figure out how to spell Taylor correctly, I don't even want to read your shit. I'm just saying. Oh, speaking of, I was on Star. I was on um, Sims Four, and I was in the gallery, and I was downloading. Um, uh, a um okay so i was in the gallery and i was looking at stargate characters and you know that i could download that other people have made and i came across a set of stargate characters for atlantis that i was gonna get but they whitewashed taylor and i was like why the fuck is taylor white and why has she got blonde hair i was so furious i, I was like i can't i can't download any of that i, I was so mad because all the other ones were really good but they made taylor white and i was like how fucking racist. <laughs> I was, I, I, Why would they do that? I don't know, but it was really offensive. But I did download a uh, Styles and Derek. Um, and um, I put them in my house. And um, I was I, I made their house. And then, and then I went in to edit their relationship so they could be husbands. They were already husbands. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> Aww. 
because they were downloaded as a set, but it didn't say that they were a family, just that they were, it was just Styles and Derek from Teen Wolf, and um, it didn't link, it, it didn't mention their relationship in the tags, and so I thought I would have to edit it, which is perfectly fine, I was willing to do that, but I didn't have to, because they were already husbands, it was adorable. I did download some Avengers characters. And um, speaking of, I downloaded um, Shuri and Peter Parker as their, their young adults. And uh, I had them in an apartment building. And I hadn't played them in a while, so um, I'd marked them non-playing. When I went to go pick them back up, they'd gotten married and were living in an apartment together. I was like, oh, Peter Parker. <laughs> So I moved them to the suburbs. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm in Sims 4. I'll play Sims 4. I always I see Ronan spelled wrong so much that every time I go to write Ronan, I have to double check the spelling myself. I know it's the O spelling of the name. I know it in my head, but I'm always, when I look at it on the screen, I go, am I getting this wrong? I always type it R-O-N-O-N, and then I go, did I get that wrong? Because fandom has that fucked up so many times. And honestly, I really struggle with that when people can't bother to get their character names spelled right. By the time you're ready to post it, double check to make sure your character names are spelled right. It's just, it's so annoying. <laughs> so I have Peter and Shuri. I have John and Rodney. Um, I have Derek and Styles. Um... I have uh, Rourke and Eve from the In Death series. And Somerset, he lives in the basement. <laughs> the tricked out basement. <laughs> and the cat. The cat's there too. Uh, so, Galahad. They live in a big mansion. Eve works out a lot. <laughs> It's, it's very, it's very true to, I mean, wh whoever built, you know, whoever designed them did a very good job of their traits and, um, and working them up before uploading them on the gallery. So mm, it's pretty fun. My favorite part of Sims 4 is, uh, making families and putting them in houses. <laughs> I'm not, I don't even particularly like to play the game. I just like to build houses and decorate them and put families in them and make babies. Styles and Derek made a baby today. <laughs> After I finished designing their house. <laughs> Styles. Yeah. I have the um the expansion pack for um vampires and I think they have werewolves in that too. I was gonna try to turn Derek into a werewolf. You know, for reasons. <laughs> what are you doing? Just listening. Oh. I have Sims. Um, I have the original Sims game on CDs. Wherever they are. Um, and then I have Sims 3. And I have Sims 4. I skipped Sims 2. Um because well, at the time I had all the Sim games, the original ones on CD, so I was playing that game, and it was a really heavy, heavy load on my system. So I didn't feel like I needed to buy Sims Two, um, and then I bought Sims Three, um, and then I bought Sims Four last year when it was free. 
So. I used to have this game for Sim Zoo. They don't make that anymore. It's really sad. But I'm really looking forward to this the island adventures pack because you can make your character a mermaid. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. You can make mermaids. I had the original Sim City. My favorite part was building a city and then trying to make it have a natural disaster so it would <laughs> so it would wipe my city out so I can start over. I would have the worst plumbing problems in my city. What do you um what's one lamp shading you wouldn't do? What's one lamp shading I wouldn't do? Um Well, huh. I, I try not to, I mean, I think if anything that pushes the reader suspension of disbelief too far, um, which is one of the reasons why I research as much as I do, even though I'm going to ultimately rely on comic book science or, or, you know, TV crime drama science or whatever it is, or Stargate science, um, I don't want to. I don't want to push the reader too far. So lampshading and hand waving are not a solution for everything. So, like, I would not just hand wave or lampshade, like mo creating a colony um, of for Harry Potter on the moon. Um, <laughs> we've seen it done. Everybody who's read enough Harry Potter has seen a magical colony on the moon or on Mars or traveling to the moon on brooms or whatever. Um, I just think that's pushing it a little far. That's a little bit more hand wave than a lampshade, but I think that you have to, to put a little bit more into it than just, you know, slap a lampshade on a colony on the moon. Um, no, this was not crack. Although I, I would definitely <laughs> say a, a, a calendar, a, a colony on the moon sounds crackish, but it you might be I've able to honestly call it. never read it. Dude, I, I've seen this at least a half a dozen times. Whether it's the moon or Mars, or I think I saw one that was on Venus. Um well that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Multiple times I mean traveling to the moon on brooms. Um, you know, whatever. It's there. It's all out there. And uh it's just I think that's just pushing it. It's pushing it's pushing the boundaries of, of what you can hand waver or, or throw a lampshade over. Cause it, if the audience spends more time scratching their head and they, and they ignore your lampshade completely, like, it, okay. It's like, you know, to use the lampshading thing where you've got, um, you know, the guy who's not supposed to be in, in the, in the woman's room or whatever. And so she throws a lampshade over his head and somehow her husband doesn't notice that he's there. Okay. So if, if, if that guy um, weren't a guy, but a tiger, okay? Does it make sense that you're going to get a tiger to stand still with a lampshade on its head? No, because you've kind of broken what the what, what it's designed to do. She can't be hiding a tiger in her room and put a lampshade on it and expect anybody to not notice that it's a tiger. For, for several reasons, because nobody believes for a second that a tiger is going to sit still with a lampshade on its head. <laughs> is it a comatose tiger? I mean, what? So... Um, 
I think you just have to, you know, you can't push it too far. Um, you can't make the lampshading thing, especially even, even in a com comedic device, like the whole, um, the lampshading they do, I actually kind of question whether or not that thing in Monty Python was lampshading because yes, they were acknowledging the coconuts thing as being coconuts and the character was calling him out on the fact that's not a horse, it's coconuts. Technically, that's lampshading, but because the whole thing, even if they hadn't done that, you'd have just laughed at it. You didn't need the lampshade, right? It's Monty Python. You don't need the lampshade of calling the guy out on the coconuts. So, I mean, to me, that's like in that if it's that comedic, it's that farcical. What is the what is the lampshade do for you it 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 just adds an element of humor right it's not actually serving a purpose um what about you where do you think would be pushing it too far um it amuses me to push the um percentage on the amount um of heterosexual couples versus homosexual couples in a world um when i'm you know, like for Sentinels of Atlantis, and it's lampshaded because um, most Sentinels and guides are male. You know, um, which is traditionally the you know men played that role in tribes that they protected the tribes. So traditionally, and that makes sense that most of them would be male. Um, but I think even that you can only take so far. I had plenty. I mean, I had um, even in Sentinels of Atlantis. I have, I have, I have actually a lot of het couples. Um, there's um, uh, Vala and Mitchell. Um, there's Sam and Daniel. Um, there's Cadman and Ford. Uh, because um, as as amusing as it is to kind of push that in het readers' faces, that um, what it would be like to be the minority in the world. Uh, it's like a life lesson. It's not realistic, and it gets. Um, it can get like. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. It, it Come on can, now. Can, it can. It can feel ridiculous. Um, like even if you're trying to, even if somebody tries to lampshade, like I read something where, like Rodney had like eight scientists, female scientists, working for him, and somehow they all wound up being lesbians. And somehow they paired off into four couples. Somehow, somehow, because all lesbians find all other lesbians attractive, <laughs> right? I that's mean, realistic. And the uh, honestly, the odds of hiring—if you hire a, if, for, for starters—the odds that you're going to staff a lab and you would your best qualified candidates would all eight of them be women is improbable. For Unless you specifically sought women which wasn't now the case hiring female uh, lesbians preferred right but <laughs> which wasn't the case it just so happened to be and they tr and i could see they attempted to lampshade it because like one of the characters questioned well really all of the all the good qualified candidates were women and they're like it just worked out that way it doesn't work out that way in the real world um it, i i wish i wish that you know i wish that if it's just it's 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 improbable. Fifty fifty. I'm I, I'll I'll go with you fifty fifty on that. Um, and sometimes things do get skewed outside of the norm, 
for the highly qualified scientists in the fields. So like if you look at the quality, you know, the, the top scientists in physics, right? And you look at the statistics on, on gender distribution, you will get some skewing outside of the norm, right? It's not going to be 80-20 or 60-40 or whatever the Right, it's going to be majority male because that's the ratio for women and men in hard sciences. Right, but you could get some skewing outside of the normal because that's the way that's the way random distribution works. Is you do have groups that are outliers. So okay, so let's say it was fifty fifty. Hundred percent best qualified people applying to the SGC are going to be women. Improbable. Very improbable. Okay, so I've got a suspension of disbelief thing, right? And they attempted to lampshade it by having a character ask about it. And Rodney goes, it just worked out that way. Then it just turns out another scene that all eight of them are lesbians. No, I'm sorry. There's no lampshading possible for that. One of the things I did in what might have been is, is definitely a moment of lampshading is that, um, that people with the ATA gene are more likely to be bisexual. Um, because the ancients were. And it's That's a, lovely. I find that to be lovely lampshading. Um, so there are a lot of gay and bisexual people in Stargate because in, in the in the SGC because they're actively recruiting people for that have the ATA gene. Right. Um <laughs> I think that that, that that's a to me that's a perfect example of hand how to handle um, if you if you're going to have a, a skew on sexual orientation that is way outside the norm is it's tied to something canon you know you have a canon element the ATA gene that does something and have it mean more than what it did in canon it's a perfect hook for a lampshade um, but to just say that somehow or another, the eight women that you hired all just, oh, I had no idea. They all turned out to be lesbians. And they all happened to be attracted to each other in in convenient pairs. <laughs> Very convenient pairs. Because the reality is if you put eight people with a similar, with a compatible sexual orientation in the room, it's not going to pair off neatly like that. There's going to be like three people all wanting the same person. You know, that's just the way life works. So <laughs> you have a, a series. Yeah, male a lot of ugly relationship drama. Yeah. So what you have, so to me, there's no lampshading possible on something like that. Um, okay. So I'm going to use a, a, a good example um, from... Uh, a, an example of lampshading I read in a in uh, one of the um, QB stories, which mm -hmm. was uh, in Remix 394. Um, uh, so a, a I would say a typically disproportionate number of her of the the OCs were gay or bisexual or, or somewhere in there. But it was lampshaded before that ever happened. So before it ever happened, before you ever even got to that data point, they were having a problem with Hydra trying to infiltrate security. And so um, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. says, okay, we're going to focus on recruiting, um, looking amongst our ranks for people who are openly gay because Hydra doesn't recruit. So that's the way it was positioned in the story. So there's this lampshade that's actually poised right there we're going to focus on recruitment from people who are openly gay right now because we're having a problem picking out who Hydra is and Hydra isn't recruiting from. So she put the lampshade out there. And then when the majority of the characters wind up when you're not majority, but some disproportional number of people wind up gay. Well, it's because they were recruited that way. So that's an example of, um, 
So, yeah, lampshade works best when it's logical. Yeah. But that, so that's an example of, of putting a lampshade out there in a way that, um, that you can, and you can even kind of set the stage before it goes kind of wackadoodle, right? Before people even start to question it, you set the stage for the thing you're going to do that doesn't make a lot of sense or may not make sense or would challenge this challenge the suspension of disbelief. Um, and sometimes that's one of the, and that's actually a really good way to handle when you're going to do something that will challenge your reader is to kind of prime the pump that you're going to do something that might seem a little wacky and give a reason for it, a reason that makes sense, root it in something logical, at least for your world. And if you do it in a, um, in a very casual, understated way, your lampshading can almost, can often look like foreshadowing. Yeah. Which is, I would say, almost optimal. Uh, because it's so subtle that it's already there for the reader when, before they ever have a chance to question. Uh, and that would be more of a dramatic way. I would like kind of like dramatic lampshading because a lot of the examples you'll find online of lampshading are about comedy. Uh, and that doesn't serve that. Those kind of examples aren't going to help you, right? There's a man in, in Tony's bedroom who's not supposed to be there. And so they put a lampshade over his head. That doesn't work, right? That kind of example isn't going to work if you're writing something as angsty. <laughs> so you need examples of, of how to do that, that that work. And sometimes you have to make a, you need to make a decision. Am I going to lampshade or hand wave? If hand waving breaks suspension of disbelief, you need to lampshade. If you can't lampshade, you need to rethink. Because you have to maintain that willing suspension of disbelief. And if you can't do either, and if you can't lampshade um, in a very logical fashion, you have to ask yourself how realistic your plot point is. Right. You need to, you need to go back to the drawing board on your plot point. Because if you, if you really can't throw a lampshade over it, and if hand waving doesn't work and it's, and putting in an author note, isn't going to solve this problem and putting a lampshade over it isn't possible. Your plot point may just be too unrealistic. <laughs> that works. That works. Maybe that I'll always make, works. Maybe I'll write a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. Now, in that case, I would probably have Deadpool tell Tony that he was listening to a podcast about lampshading. <laughs> and isn't this the way this is supposed to work? Because I might as well be meta at the same time. I think my version is better. <clears throat> Deadpool and his boxes. The Deadpool has a lot of interesting. Deadpool does do both lampshading and hand waving with the boxes, um, and breaking the fourth wall. I mean, whoever came up with that whole the, the whole storyline for Deadpool, um, they just gave you they gave you a narrative out for everything in Deadpool. Because it's one of the cases of where if you can't hand wave it with Deadpool, which I don't know why you couldn't, it's Deadpool. Um, and if you can't la lampshade it, well, Deadpool could just talk to the audience about how we know that this is improbable, but we don't really care, right? We just want to have hot sex and move on. <laughs> so, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to go. 
Deadpool is like, I'll take all the rules and just fuck them, fuck, tell them to fuck off when you're done with Deadpool. But outside of Deadpool, you have a Deadpool. To me, anything with Deadpool in it starts to take a cracky, cracky overtone. Um, it, the only time, it, unless some other people are reacting to Deadpool and you're never in Deadpool's point of view, which means there's no talking to the audience really, or the talking to the audience is viewed as insanity. Um, Deadpool's a, a very different kind of kettle of fish. But other than that, you have to figure out, um, can you hand wave it? If you can't hand wave it, can you, do you, how do you lampshade it? If you really can't lampshade it, go back to the drawing board. Figure out how to maintain suspension of disbelief. This also is also a really really important. It's if you can't lampshade it, can you control the ripples of it? Because the answer is probably one hundred percent no. If you can't lampshade it and you can't hand wave it, it is a big boulder sitting in the middle of your fic, and you will not be able to control the tsunami that pours out of it. And it will get bigger and uglier as you go. There are humorous things you can say about it. Um, you can do, you know, but when you get into like big dramas um, where you have your character do something that has no rhyme or reason, which means you can't hand wave it, you can't lampshade it. And he's, well, you know, for instance, what they did with Loki in Avengers where he is responsible basically for a mass murder. He kills upwards of 80 people before the invasion even happens, right? Well, they lampshade it after the fact. And actually, in the movie, if you pay close attention, you realize that Loki's eyes are actually just like Clint's. And he's been brainwashed. And they tell you after the fact, like many years after the fact, that, that that's what actually happened to Loki. And they kind of foreshadowed it in the movie. But if you weren't paying attention to that, you didn't know it. So how is that character even remotely redeemable? after that much death at due to his actions from the perspective of a of somebody on earth right right and and i think what they did there was actually very effective because it allowed um people to to well i mean it it was a popular fan theory um long before it was confirmed by Marvel that Loki was under the influence of the scepter. It was a very popular fan theory. That's because they changed the color of Tom Hiddleston's eyes in the movie. Right. So, and I think Loki and canon has green eyes. But anyway, that's that, that's that aside. It, it that was a, that was a very effective way for them to potentially use Loki as um, an, uh, a protagonist in the future if they needed to. Which they did. Well, at the time, Loki was... Um, the mind control of Loki was not known. It was not established. Now, the MCU characters still don't know that Loki was under the influence of the Scepter. Right. So, in their eyes, he is irredeemable. He, he did all that um, on his uh, of his own volition, whereas Clint was brainwashed by the scepter. Well, Loki was too, but they don't know that. 
And perspective is everything. I always say that, you know, Dorothy Gale is actually the Wicked Witch's worst nightmare. She murdered her sister, stole her inheritance, and then assassinated her. That's POV, bitches. Point of view is everything. Now, in terms of, because it came up in the chat room, how can Loki be irredeemable but Clint's okay because he was under mind control? That In that particular instance, it's because people don't know Loki, about the, which Kira addressed. People don't know Loki was mind controlled. But the better question, the better analogy would be, why is Loki irredeemable in Clint's eyes, but Wanda is okay in everybody's eyes, except for Tony's? Wanda did the same thing to Tony right. and the entire fucking team that Loki did to Clint. So to me, that's a raging hypocrisy. It's not about Loki. I don't think it's because she's a woman. I think it's because Clint wasn't a victim of her. And therefore, he has no problem with her. And nobody besides Tony and anybody whose mind was affected by Wanda, the only people who were very negatively affected were Tony and Bruce. And so it was easy for everybody else to just let it go. She because, could be fucking with all of them. Yeah, she could be. She, it could be an ongoing thing. I, and that's certainly one of the fan theories is that um, because I honestly, it never made sense to me that her being ex-Hydra that Steve would be going after Bucky with, with, with her in tow. Cause I don't buy it either. Considering what Bucky did. To what Hydra did to Bucky, that he would take someone who voluntarily worked for Hydra along to help his buddy. It's just so weird. Yeah, because that what, needs to be like in the front of everybody's mind that both Wanda and her brother were willing members of Hydra. Mm -hmm. So that's a case of where the whole situation with Wanda is a suspension of disbelief point that has neither been lampshaded nor hand-waved. So it hangs out there, right? It's just hanging out there, and we don't know what to do with it. Unlike the Loki situation, which was... They gave us enough to hang something on. We could hang the lampshade ourselves because there was evidence there. There at least was foreshadowing, depending upon how you want to look at it. So there was enough there for fans to be able to deal with the Loki situation. There's nothing there with the Wanda situation. Nothing. I don't, you know, that fan theory is bullshit because I think it's ugly to compare Bucky and Wanda because Wanda did it willingly and Bucky was tortured for decades. Yeah. Um, tortured and made to murder on behalf of Hydra. His worst enemy so for create, decades. It does not this, equal Wanda's prepubescent bitch fit turned into Hydra fanat fanaticism. It, it, it doesn't. It's not the same thing. And I find it to be it, that fan theory. I think it's kind of ugly because it creates a suspension of disbelief problem around 
not only around Steve, which makes him more monstrous than we already think he is at that point, but it creates a suspension of disbelief problem around Bucky. He wouldn't, I, I really do not believe that he would want to be that anybody to use someone who was Hydra as leverage to get him anything in life. If you equate Wanda and Bucky, then you're saying Bucky is not a victim of Hydra, which is ugly. Mm -hmm. Very ugly. So the only lampshade that an author can throw over that situation, to me, that's reasonable, is that Wanda has influenced everybody's mind. And, and the reason why that is a comfortable place to stand is because it keeps Steve Rogers from being a monster. Yes, it makes Wanda more monstrous, but I don't know how she could be much more monstrous. She's a Nazi. And a mind rapist. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing worse than a rapist. Well, I'm not saying that Bucky knows that that's what... The thing is, I, I, but you can't say that Bucky's oblivious to Steve's tactics. That doesn't give Bucky any credit at all. To say that Bucky, the fan theory, isn't that Bucky knows or agrees with what Steve is doing. I, I actually, that's why I think it creates a suspension of disbelief point around Bucky. Because for, for Steve to be doing all of this stuff with Wanda and Bucky be oblivious to it on behalf of Bucky, him tolerating a hydra. I don't buy that. No, that makes Bucky a dodo. So and Bucky is actually very savvy. Mm -hmm. I think he's probably a better, um, would, from what we saw in, um, he's probably, at, at, with the amount of experience he has baked in now, he's probably a better field commander than Steve would be. Well, he actually has, you know, he actually went through basic training. Yeah, and he had more years in the military, and his his years of tactical experience for Hydra aren't erased. Bucky Barnes in the right condition could be a force to be reckoned with. I I understand what you're saying that that this stuff was set up before Bucky was on scene, but you're but but to say that Bucky would tolerate a benefiting. Steve manipulating Tony by using a Hydra. That is Volun so volunteer. Ugly. The fact the, the fact that yeah, I do Bucky would Bucky tolerate somebody being mind right is just offensive as um, Clint tolerating it. Yeah, which is why to what me happened to Bucky was much much worse than what happened to Clint. Yeah. And I do assume Bucky would find out because Bucky's not an idiot. He may not have found out right away, but he would eventually find out. Steve can't keep him in a bubble forever. I mean, and it's no secret that Wanda's Hydra. No, it's not a secret. It's a secret no. literally to no one. They wouldn't even think twice about discussing her history of being Hydra in front of Barnes. And no one would, except for perhaps Steve. If that was, if that theory held water, which it doesn't. Um, so the fact that, I mean, and it, honestly, it's actually my headcanon that the last time Barnes woke up, Wanda helped prep him. Because she's the obvious choice to have done it. So the, the, the fan theory that, this is why I think the fan theory about 
Bucky not knowing Bucky's ignorance is is bullshit, and I'm not going to do anything with it. And I I don't give it any credence at all. Even if it wound up being confirmed by Marvel, I wouldn't give it any credence. Is because it makes Bucky an unusable character. He is so mentally damaged that he doesn't question anything around him. He doesn't question sitting next to a Hydra person. They manage to hide everything from Bucky, and that makes zero sense, which means he is never going to be recovered enough to be a functional character. If you make him that damaged, he's not going to ever recover enough to be a functional character in a story. So you can't have it both ways. You can't have it that Bucky can be so sheltered and so basically manipulated by Steve. And ignorant. That he will, and ignorant that he will tolerate a Hydra person being that things happening on his behalf because of this Hydra, Hydra assassin, basically Hydra operative. You can't have it that Bucky is a functional member of whatever, of the team, of the Avengers, or whatever, that Bucky's a functional person, and have him be that fucked up, that he would live in that bubble that Steve created for him. It doesn't doesn't make sense. It's completely contradictory. So you kind of got to decide where you're going to go. If you want to write a damaged Bucky, write a damaged Bucky, fine. He doesn't know the stuff's all being hidden from him, whatever. But then Um, don't have him joining the team and acting like... He's capable of functioning that way. Well, but but it's not a fa- okay. If somebody is writing a story where Steve has attempted this, but Bucky finds out and gets angry, that's not the same thing as Bucky living in ignorance. So, um, I actually don't think you could go too far down that path. Too far, too far down the Civil War path, post Civil War, without Bucky figuring stuff out. It just doesn't. At, at some point, he's got to stop and take stock of what's going on and figure out who's around him. So, um, but anyway, so the thing is, is that so I think that the the in terms of lampshade in the situation with Wanda, the situ the lampshade that is the most comfortable and easy to deal with, and the reason why it is is because it explains everything without making anybody but. Wanda monstrous, which is that she's manipulating everybody's mind. And it's comfortable to let her be monstrous there because we already know she's done monstrous things. It's not out of character. She's manipulating everybody, including us. And Endgame really didn't happen. (laughs) I'm fine with that. I don't don't want her actually manipulating me, but you know, (laughs) I'm fine. Endgame is a nightmare that Tony had. (laughs) Endgame is like, it's like Dallas, you know, we woke up. No, no. No, it has to be Pepper's nightmare. Endgame is the nightmare that Pepper had. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm fine with people developing, you know, fan theories or whatever. Uh, that's fine. But the thing is, for me to be able to use a fan theory as an effective lampshade or a hand wave or something like that, it cannot fuck up the characters or make the suspension of disbelief worse. And that's for the individual author to figure out. You got to work through those steps on your own. And some fan theories don't work at all for me, at all. And for me, I I always favor um I always favor when I'm making a decision about something like that. Characterization comes first. We talked about that last night before. Whenever we talked our last podcast, we talked about character and plot, um, and making decisions about you know what you're going to serve your characterization or your plot. And always, 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 I pick characterization. Nine times out of ten. 
because I can always rearrange my plot. Yeah, but rearranging your characterization is a lot fucking more work. And, and to give a different example of fan theories that don't help the situation. So Zeven McGee fans have a fan theory, not all of them, but some of them have a fan theory about Dead Air, that it was just a joke, that they didn't actually do it. That's the fan theory. They didn't actually do it. They just told Tony they did. Okay, that makes it less of a procedural thing, but you know what? It's not fucking funny. It's abusive. So... It doesn't actually solve the problems. The problem with a fan theory that doesn't actually solve any problems doesn't help me as a writer. And that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't allow Tony to go back, you know, blissfully to the team and be a member of the team because you've, you've now set up a situation where jokes like that are being told. When, where, where's the line? When does it stop being a joke? I'd never trust them again. Joke or not, because how do you trust someone who would joke about that? It's not funny because some things are just not funny. This is not gluing someone's fingers to a keyboard. This is not, you know, putting soap in someone's coffee. Those are pranks and maybe you don't find them funny individually, but they're still obvious pranks. Telling somebody it'd be like, you know, if Tony told a joke. I stalked the truck when he didn't and they get to a crime scene and they can't process the evidence. Would that be funny? No. I'm reading a question in the chat. I don't, I mean, I, so asked about whether or not Wanda could have been a part of Steve's process or his briefing as he was after he, after he came out of the ice. Um, I don't think Wanda was advanced enough. No, I mean, Wanda didn't exist yet. Didn't have the scepter. She had no abilities. Right. Wanda was zero, zero abilities at that point. Um, Wanda didn't become the Scarlet Witch until Hydra got a hold of the Scepter, which Loki brought to Earth during Avengers. And so Steve had already been out of the ice a couple of weeks at that point. So Wanda would have been zero involved. So that Wanda Wanda couldn't have had any influence. Now it doesn't mean that Hydra didn't have influence on Steve, right? Okay, they could have inadvertent because Steve was thought out. One of the best ways I think to handle, um, I think what you did in Unleash Your Demons was a great way to handle. In, in a way, it was a type of lampshade of handling the Steve situation is to thaw him out in different circumstances. Because, and that right there kind of implies that a Steve that is happy and more functional, being in different care, that something happened to him with, with S.H.I.E.L.D. And because they were so heavily infiltrated by Hydra, all it would take was the therapist he's talking to, Hydra influencing what information Steve got access to, maybe even some, some, some subliminal implantation, playing certain things or giving him messages while he was unconscious. There's no telling what Hydra could have done to Steve while again, he was recovering. Perspective is everything and history is written by the victors. And Hydra was playing a long game. And Alexander Pierce was still very influential over the operations of S.H.I.E.L.D. when Steve came out of the ice. And corrupting Captain America would have been one of their number one goals. 
and you have to take that into account because Steve was very, very confrontational with Tony from the moment he met him for no reason. And so it is very common. Put on we, the suit. Put on the suit. I've seen the footage. We've all, it, there are a lot of fan theories about what it was that Steve saw. Why was he so confrontational with Tony from the beginning? Howard's son, his friend's son, why was he so confrontational? Who, who, who Tony honestly wasn't that different in demeanor from Howard that Steve knew. So why was he so confrontational with him? Something had to lay that groundwork. And you could argue that it was S.H.I.E.L.D. that Nick Fury did it because he wanted to make sure that he had control of the team. Or you could argue, argue that Hydra did it. And either has, you could make a good case for either. And with Pierce, see, here's the thing. Pierce Pierce and Nick Fury are actually pretty close. Um, Nick Fury, Pierce is the reason that Nick Fury is the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He brought Nick Fury up. He's the reason. There's every reason to believe that Pierce has been whispering in Fury's ear for decades. Yeah. Because perception is everything. And if you got someone you trust, someone who mentored you, someone who helped your career, whispering in your ear all the fucking time. And just because Nick Fury is who he is does not mean he's invulnerable to that kind of manipulation. I think probably it would be more fun if it was sex tapes. Well, I think there's probably that too, but it's my headcanon that probably the tape that he is referring to, the footage he's referring to, is the I Am Iron Man speech. Because S.H.I.E.L.D. asked him not to come out with that. So if they position that to Steve as he violated national security, he didn't care about others' safety, when he did this, he was showboating, he was grandstanding, that was very much a S.H.I.E.L.D. party line about Tony. And that is the perfect tape for them to have used for on a Steve who doesn't understand the way the modern world works. Who doesn't understand that Tony being secret about that technology allows it to be taken from him. So there's, I think actually Tony, Tony shows a lot of savvy and subtle ways in the, in the, and in not so subtle ways, but Steve has no frame of reference to appreciate that, which allows Shieldra to spin it regardless when, whether it's shield or whether it's Hydra, they can manipulate what Steve knows and his interpretation of it because he trusts them because it's Peggy's organization. Right. You know, that was the first thing they told her, told him. Yeah. We, we, we were the, this we shield, shield. shields with the SSR became Peggy Carter started us. And you can trust us and you can trust us. So, there are ways to, there are ways. I'm of the opinion when someone tells you you can trust them that you should never, ever yeah, trust them. them. <laughs> trust me. No, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Especially somebody you don't know. Trust is inspired, not instructed. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you're doing something where you want to deal with Steve's motivations or whatever, and you're looking for your hand wave or your lampshade or whatever, there is plenty of material there for you to work with. There are hooks all over the place for you to hang that lampshade from. Do what works for your story. If you need it to be Hydra, you can do that. If you need it to be shield, that there's, there's information that, there's precedent there for it to be shield. But when you throw in an element like Wanda, 
then you have a timeline issue, which violates your suspension of disbelief. And so you, you, have, to be, you have to pick a lampshade that doesn't mess up another aspect of your story construction. Sorry, I have a vitamin D hangover. <laughs> <laughs> vitamin D does the worst things to me. It's, it, it's like having a half a bottle of Crown. It's a good thing. Only not as much fun. It's a good thing I don't have this reaction to vitamin D. I would never wake up again. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, I wouldn't mind something that actually made me sleepy, but I take a lot of vitamin D. Yeah. So, and I take it every day. What's really interesting is that being out in the sun makes me sleepy too. Yeah, for me, that's an uh, part of my autoimmune issues is that when I'm out in the sun, I start to feel bad and then I get very tired. Yeah, being out in the sun Seraphina. wears me out. Dark Seraphina is a lampshade that isn't made as asbestos. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, Pick your lampshade carefully. So there is a lot more to suspension of disbelief than lampshading because sometimes you can't lampshade and sometimes you can't hand wave. And I would actually say that there are more things that I see in stories that can't be lampshaded or hand waved because when my when my suspension of disbelief is challenged. Sometimes I can, I can supply the hand wave. I can f supply a lampshade because I I've done it before. I'm good at it, right? I know how to supply that stuff for the author when they've fallen down there. But when I nope out of a story, it's because it, it just can't be done. It, you, you're not in the realm of lampshading or hand waving. I think my biggest lampshade is actually I use J.K. Rowling's lampshade in Harry Potter. One of the first things we learn about Lily Potter is that she sacrificed herself to save her son. And because she did, he was able to survive the killing curse. That's what, that's what we learn. There's a lot of fan theories about how that works. So when I was trying to figure out how I could get wee Harry into the hands of wee Bilbo... I was like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm just going to use her excuse that Lily used her sacrifice, her magical sacrifice to power a uh, dimensional portal to another world. So I stole J.K. Rowling's lampshade and used it for my own purposes, which we do a lot in fan fiction, but that's probably the biggest lampshade I've ever done. <laughs> Oh, just, and he landed in Gandalf's lap, <laughs> literally. And it worked. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what my biggest lampshade is. I mean, certainly my biggest hand wave, science hand wave, is dragon shifters. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I do eventually kind of lampshade it because Rodney has a science tantrum about it, but that's 230,000 words later. Um <laughs> Well, we all use a really popular lampshade, and that's the Sentinel Guide trope. We don't explain how that's possible. It just works. It just is. It's it's a it's a throwback. It's to something throwback. that never actually happened in reality. Yeah, <laughs> go with it. Our our, our characters <laughs> who are not living in the caves are a throwback to people living in the caves. But you know, and the thing is, people suspend their disbelief because they like the trope. That's the only right. reason. Somebody who is not, the, and that's the that's the key. And we'll talk about willing suspension of disbelief versus 
the the unwilling because that's a there's two different mindsets right willing suspension of disbelief is very important with an audience and if they're coming into your story about dragon shifters they are prepared to deal with the science issue of that much misplaced mass right how do you take somebody that weighs 180 pounds and they shift into something that weighs several metric tons we don't explain that. And the thing is, their suspension of disbelief, they come into the story prepared for that. The person who comes in the story not prepared for that shouldn't be reading a dragon shifter story. They just shouldn't. There's a there's a line in Unleash Your Demons where um, Steve asks, because um, they're talking about Bucky, and, um, and he asks if killing Bucky is on the table. And Harry's and not Harry, Tony says no. Um, that you know he knows somebody magical, and Bruce says magic, really. And he's like, "You're gonna talk to me about improbable things when you turn into something that's ten times your size." Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to me about magic, Bruce. <laughs> Don't talk. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny because like. My mom, she reads a lot of shifter stories. She loves them, right? And she has read stories with dragon shifters and werewolf shifters and tiger shifters and all of this stuff, right? And there are Siberian tigers that can weigh almost a ton, okay? So think about that. They weigh almost a ton. So there were, no, sorry, almost a thousand pounds. Not, not 2,000 pounds, a thousand pounds. So half a ton. There are Siberian tigers. I mean, the biggest tigers can weigh almost half a ton. So... But she has read stories with dragon shifters, and she has no issue with it, right? The first time she read a story with a, with a spider shifter, she lost her mind. And I was like, what is the matter with you? And she said, what about all the displaced mass? I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> You're upset because somebody turned into a from a 180-pound person into a tarantula, but the 880-pound person turning into a 200-ton dragon doesn't bother you? <laughs> but the thing is, it did. that. It, it was a hard stop for her. And it probably is because the typical um, tropes around shifters are about becoming something kind, either bigger or kind of equivalent size to slightly smaller. There's not this, you know, but bigger. If there's going to be displaced, a huge amount of displaced mass, it's going to be to the much bigger end of the spectrum. And her suspension of disbelief could not handle somebody challenging that and doing a spider shifter. She, she she just couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. And she and she has the same issue with hedgehog shifters. Um I I don't know what she's reading, folks, but she writes me these a hedgehog. Hedgy you know, the cutest little team will think I ever read Styles turned into a bunny. That is this the Golden Hind one? He has a burrow he's building in his backyard and he accidentally digs into Derek's backyard. Oh, I have not read that. Why haven't I read this story? Um, Styles is a bunny and he has his own house and he's living next door to Derek, who's a werewolf, obviously. Um, and he's building a burrow and he ends up building it and he's digging and he, and he digs too far and he digs into Derek's yard and he pops his head up and gets a face full of werewolf. Only like full shifter wolf. <laughs> so then he runs and hides in his house and, but he eventually comes back out, you know. That, I need I need to find this story because that sounds adorable. Um, Fick Ninja. <laughs> yeah, but Styles is a wear bunny, and his mom was a wear bunny. Lady Holder has it. Um, and um, it's it's called something. There is by Scoozy Pants, 
and it's in Teen Wolf, obviously, and it's the Styles and Derek Perrin. That's all I read um, in that fandom, and um, they're both adults. So I I can't uh uh-uh. uh I can't write that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't write. I wouldn't, I wouldn't write a spider anime just any more than I, I would write. I wouldn't write a spider shifter either because I have issues with spiders. So, um. But that would be that'd be the only reason, not because I consider it Im- implausible, because it's not any more implausible than anything else that goes on with the shifter world. But it's just funny. I think it would actually kind of be fun to write Harry as a golden snidget. That would be funny. That would be very funny. But it's funny how people's suspension of disbelief can be it can be set for a certain thing. And when you challenge it, it they can hard stop. And it, and it does. It may not even be logical, but that's something to be aware of. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about suspension of disbelief. Is you know, people are so busy trying to avoid tropes and cliches sometimes that they don't realize and they don't pay attention to the fact that sometimes the reader's suspension of disbelief is hanging on it. And when you violate and belief is fragile. Yeah, and when you violate that structure too much, you've lost your reader. And you're not writing for the reader, but you are writing to be readable. And if you can't keep your reader, then you're not readable. It's sort of like, and I don't mean every reader, but if most of the readers are going, oh no, <laughs> that's just too weird. Yeah. They burned the trope. What am I hell? You know? Um, but when it comes to lampshading and hand wave are very vital pieces of managing a suspension of disbelief issue. So I think we- it would actually crack me up if Ron's animagus form was that big spider thing. Oh, the uh, and uh, 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 am I blanking on what those are called? A C R. Acromantula. Acromantula. It would crack me up if John, if if Ron's animagus form was an acromantula, whatever that is. That would be fucking hilarious. That would be funny. I would I not th- want to see it, but it would make me laugh. I think it'd be funnier if he was like a little common house spider. <laughs> no, but just imagine him meeting his spirit, his um, his anime, just like in meditation. <laughs> yeah, but and the thing is, that'd be hysterical. And his family's—he's poor. His family's poor, right? And acromantula silk is very valuable, so. You know, it'd be good for him. So he's torn. I want money. I need the gold. So I could go into my animagus form and 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 make a lot of money. But I don't. But then he'd have to be in his animagus form. Yeah, it'd be just no mirrors in the room. That would that would probably be very helpful. Very helpful. I I like if I was if if my animagus form was an ant. I I had a neighbor. Um, true, the, true story here, folks. I had a neighbor. She was very sweet. And I lived in this other than a fourplex. So there's only four. I knew all of the people in the fourplex very well, right? You said fourplex, but I heard whoreplex. And I'm like, chilly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in one of those too. But no, that was a completely different thing. No. Uh, <laughs> but she attended all of these like furry cons and that kind of thing stuff, right? So, um, so we're talking about it one day. Because she was getting some stuff into her trunk, and um, she, uh, I, I'm down there, and I was, I, 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 she lived right across the breezeway from me, so I, I helped her take some stuff down the stairs, and she, and I said like, what you up to? And she says, I'm going to this, this, this furry thing that's happening, and um, 
in uh, San Francisco. She didn't think I knew what it was. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I'm like, well, I hope you have a good time. And I, and I said, well, what's your, and I decided to ask, I'm like, well, what's your, your, your thing. Right. And so she pulls part of her costume as this giant ant head. <gasps> She's an ant. I was like, this could not have gone worse. <laughs> <laughs> so phobic about ants it's the one thing i couldn't deal with i'd much rather be a spider <laughs> if, if i i mean like anything to me would be better than an ant so she pulls up this giant ant head and i went <sighs> but ants aren't furry well but apparently there's a big insect subculture i guess in the subculture ah, that is that is hilarious so all of her, all of her, all of her friends who do this are all insects of some kind. It's like one of her friends was a grasshopper, and um, I know she was an ant. And I think they did have a spider, but I didn't really want to in, in, inquire any further. I don't know what you actually call an insect furry, but they go to the same conventions. Well, stuff. apparently, <laughs> a dragon furry is called a scaly. <laughs> what do you call an insect furry? <sighs> But anyway, I I I was like, wow! I did I just I just kind of stared and went, she's got a giant ant head. Um, <laughs> I was like I don't even know what to do with that. She ass is gonna Google for us. She was come so, home with your shield or on it, ass. And she was she was this petite little thing. She was so cute, very charming, very adorable. And she chose her 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 inner self was reflected by being an ant, and it it gave me a different perspective on her. I'm not clicking on that. I'm not going to do it. What would you call a bug furry, Eric? I'll, I'll click on it. It's Reddit. It's not going to kill me. It might have pictures. I've seen worse things on Reddit. Uh, we call furries, well, furries. We call reptile furries, scalies. What do you call a bug furry, insect, arachnid? I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't think there's an answer yet. Fur equals furry scale. So, they, so the person says, um, going along with the previous naming convention, fur equals furry, scale equals scaly. So exoskeleton equals skelly. I'm down with it, skelly. <laughs> I don't think there's any consensus, but I'm willing to go with Skelly. There is a wiki for furries. Of course there is. There's a wiki for everything. There used to be a porn magazine for every kink, and now there's a winky. A, a wiki for every single subject. And we winky at the wikis. Yes, we do. Sometimes there's too many wikis, and they contradict each other. Which is really annoying. So you gotta pick your wiki. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking my wiki. I will I will go down with this wiki. <laughs> is it really called Seriously wiki? though? Is it really called wiki fur? You gotta pick your wiki. Because they don't always match. Really it's called wiki fur. Reaper, go get in the corner. <laughs> yeah. How dare you besmirch Winky like that? <laughs> we haven't had to send anybody in a corner in a while. You you should be like I don't know. I'm almost proud, so of, almost proud of yourself. They're called invertebrates. I'm going to have to. Is is that it? Did you put something with an ant picture up there? She did, but it wasn't her fault. Oh, because it, um, it popped up as part of the preview. I'm not sure you can get rid of the preview. Can't. We just have to. We'll just have to move on. <sighs> <laughs> Some ants have wings. Didn't you watch ants? Yeah, some ants. That's not a grasshopper head. 
Um, did you just call Winky a madam? Wait, aren't there flying ants? Or am I wrong? No, there are. There are ants that fly. Okay. 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 Which makes it more horrifying, quite frankly. Right? Right? The only thing worse than a flying ant might be a flying spider. That would be worse, actually. And I, I, have, an, <laughs> I have an ant phobia, but a flying spider would be worse. Thank you. For That's the, pretty cute. Thank you for the kitten. <laughs> He's probably thinking this. This ball is a little too big. <laughs> did you ever see? They, the, they have exceeded my rambunctiousness with this ball. Did you ever see the conversations with God thing where God was making all the animals and um, the platypus? No, I, the, ah. the the one I remember was the kitten. And he's describing to the angels what he wants the kitten to be. And he's talking about it furry and cute. And he says, and give it razor blades on its hands. <laughs> and the angels are going, what? <laughs> and they're really questioning God's sanity because he keeps doing all these strange things. But I remember the kittens because he's describing. Really, if, it's, if it's cute and fluffy, it's going to need protection. Right. So put razor blades on its hands. And I was like, so anytime I see a kitten, I go, little razor claws. And they're, I mean, we all know, everybody's ever been around a kitten. Those things are fucking dangerous. Your character or persona as a furry is called a fursona. <sighs> <laughs> I'd say this is the moment when the podcast went off the rails, but I think that it actually happened a while ago. Earlier. <laughs> yeah. But fursona is definitely, definitely... There you go. But I'm not interested in having a first arm, but I wouldn't like I wouldn't mind at all having an animagus form. Or a spirit animal. I'd be down for a spirit animal. I'm pretty sure Only if she was really vicious and she followed me around and like growled at people who upset me. Oh which is practically everybody. Sharon he found it. God drunk. It's it's on board Panda and it's called Fifty Hilarious Explanations How God Created Animal. Let me see if I can find the God creating mosquitoes. I wonder how I could get everyone to spray chemicals on themselves and also slap <laughs> their own faces. <laughs> Mission accomplished. God creating bees. Put a needle in its butt. Come on, God. What? Make it puke delicious. Make its puke delicious. What the fuck? <laughs> That's actually adorable. Instead of saying ladies or gentlemen, you say gentle furs when you're um, talking to a crowd of furries. Gentle furs. Gentle furs. What if you're a gentle bug, though? Would you be a gentle bug? Well, they're all furries, but then they're like um, <laughs> subcultures under the furries. Sorry. God creating a turkey. God make it a shitty make it like a shitty brown peacock. Animal technician. Anything anything else? God hey hang a nutsack on its face. <laughs> that is one hundred percent true. It really is. That is for those of you who have the link, that is number eight. If you want to go look at that. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to like 
I, I, the kitten better be in here. I'm going to be sad. <laughs> God, creating a walrus. What if a dog bear fish, Angel? You mean a seal? Yeah, yeah. What if one of those fucked a saber tooth tiger? <laughs> <laughs> So definitely recommend it. Go to Board Panda. It's very funny. Um, the 50 hilarious explanations how God created animals. Um, you'll just have to Google the Google that because I'm not giving. I'm not going to read out this link. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody find. Someone said in the chat room, a friend a friend was excited that I wrote fan fiction and she gave me, gave me his brother's site for stories. I've never told him that his brother writes furry stories because my friend is, is stuck up religious. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, so great. her site did find the kitten one. It says God creating kittens. God, make them really fluffy and adorable like little furry hugs. Angel. That's so sweet. God, and put razor blades on their feet. <laughs> Dude, really? Um, I don't think anybody popped up with their story about John slowly turning into a woman. But I know it's on AO3. That's not very helpful. I think I might have read it on Wraithbait, actually. Yeah, actually saying something is on AO3 is sort of like, okay. <laughs> and the ocean is wet. <laughs> <laughs> That's ugly. <laughs> but also funny. It is funny, but I'm not reading that one. Yeah, the hyenas and the pseudopenis giving birth through their, and they sometimes rupture their pseudopenis. Ah, blah, blah, blah. when they give birth, you just hurt my oh, penis. I, I got to reading some nature thing about hyenas, and I, I was, I was so traumatized by the end. I was just like, female hyenas are th the badasses of the animal kingdom. I, I'm just saying, they're they're fucking Spartans. We got it. We've got a, We've got a lead on the um, possibly on the on the John turning into. If we ever find it, if anybody finds it, like tag me or Kira, and we'll pin it in the podcast chat so people can find it later. Since we couldn't give the name of it, we probably need to set up a link. Like we need another channel in here. Um, we probably need to set up a link section. Okay. Yeah, I, I can do that after the podcast. God creating kangaroos. Okay, how about an alive backpack that jumps around? Yeah. Ertes <laughs> committed the earworm sin. Evil. Okay, so we're still trying to find that. I did create the podcast link thing. I got to work on the podcast link library. I got to work on... Uh, permissions and stuff there. Um, I th think 
I'll just give you guys a heads up. If you find a link for something we found, we talked about in the podcast, you can drop it over there. But if there's any other chatter around it, I will probably delete it to keep the channel clean. So if you... And um, when you're dropping the link, if there are any significant warnings that need to be left on it, please do so. Yeah, just put a comment or, you know, just warnings in the tag is not what we're looking for. But yeah, if there's any significant, if if, it's, if you leave a comment or something or there's talk in, that, in the link library, the channel's called Podcast Link Library. If there's any discussion going on in there and you come back and you find your comments have been deleted, it's just because we're trying to keep that channel clean. And I don't want to actually be responsible for aggregating a link library right now. If there's if cleaning up the library is is taking more effort than aggregating the links, then we'll we'll change the permissions. But right now, if there was a, a something we talked about in the podcast that you want to, but only stuff we talked about on the podcast. So if there's a story we talked about in the podcast, go ahead and drop it in the link library, so people can come and find stuff that we talked about later. And if anybody figures out what that actually that fic was where John is turning into a woman. Um, please do drop it in there. I know a couple people are, are trying to find it still. So basically, well, look, we we made your own channel. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should just call it the Thick Ninja channel. <laughs> Australia is where God sent all of the things he was afraid of. <laughs> If you believe in that. Twitter God. Twitter God sent all of the terrible things that he feared to Australia. So basically, Australia is hell. Sorry. <laughs> if you believe in that kind of thing. <laughs> the hippos. Right? Why aren't the hippos in Australia? They certainly should be. <sighs> Maybe there's not enough water in Australia for the hippos. <clears throat> Anyways, <laughs> we're approaching um, the time period that I think it kind of gets sketchy sometimes. So um, we're going to end this podcast. Uh, I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. And um, remember to drop questions or um, plot drifts in the Ask Me Anything, um, Ask a Question channel. But I would actually ask you to not leave me prompts. A prompt does not serve us. We need a plot drift. And a plot drift is, a, is usually a simple sentence like, Patrick Shepard goes to Atlantis. Or, um, uh, Something we could get multiple prompts out of. Right, because our point is to build a whole bunch of prompts out of a single um, drift, and giving us a full prompt isn't helpful. Yeah, so we'd, we'd all we'd be able to do is actually plot. Uh, in regards to the quantum bang, we did have this morning. We've had a bunch of stuff go up. Uh, something just went up just now. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what went up. Uh, My sunsets to rise again by Enigmatic Blue just posted. So that's there. Uh, Desert Poets Coming Home posted earlier today. Um, and was it last was it last night that we had um, the Final Fantasy story? Or was that earlier in the day? Yesterday? Yeah. Um, didn't Daisy's post as well? 
Oh yes, uh, Turn Back Time by Days and My Final Breath Still Trapped Behind My Teeth, uh, The Final Fantasy Story by Spiral Gal, posted I think two days ago or day it was it was the first thing that posted after the last podcast. If I'm now, I'm not actually I I know nothing about um, Final Fantasy, but I read the opening of her story and now I have a whole bunch of links on Final Fantasy to read so I can read her stuff because it was compelling yeah the opening so, of that was yeah i was like i gotta know <laughs> yeah i need to read <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta do some, i gotta do some research and the art on that if you go to the art gallery um lael silver uh did i don't know if it's lael silver or leal silver although she, she threw down she's in the chat so she could tell me um yeah, I was to say I recognize that i recognize that icon she's in the chat so is it if it's lael silver is it lael silver Yep, Lael Silver. Okay, so there is an effect she did on her chapter banners that you can only really appreciate when you see them in the art showcase. Go over and girl, there. that was slick. That was it was it was slick. That was some slick shit. So you go Good to that job. art. Go to that art showcase. It won't work on a mobile device because the mobile device truncates the. It, it, you have to. The only way to see the full image is to go into the light box, which doesn't give you the effect. But if you go on your on your laptop or your desktop or whatever, and you go look at the art showcase, and you just scroll down the screen, you're gonna see that effect. It was slick. It was it was on point. I I we had I had much appreciation for it. That's why I, that's why I put your gallery in as one column instead of two, so that we can see it. So we can see it. It was, it was slick. Yeah, nicely done. Good job. All of our artists Anyways. have done a great job, so be sure to visit the art showcases too and appreciate the awesomeness of our artists. They all have been banging. Good night, folks. Okay. Audio. <laughs> Thank you. I, I kind of I like completely lost it. <laughs> well, it's like you got an earworm. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's how it goes. So good night, everyone. Tell go tell Craig to fuck off. Bye, Craig. <laughs>